Hi, friends. Welcome back for another episode of Breathe Darling, the podcast with your host, Emily Riggs. I am Emily Riggs, and I am so happy that you have returned to listen to another episode with us. Be sure to settle in, get cozy, take a deep breath, and let's jump in. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Breathe Darling, the podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you all today. It was recorded a couple months back uh, with my guests and um, just honestly, it was so rich that I walked away feeling so encouraged, so challenged, um, and just like I was a better human because of having this conversation. I am still just like chewing on some of these, the, the information that was shared um, and just my guest perspective and worldview um, has definitely been shaped by her experiences and I cannot wait for everyone to learn from her. So a little bit about my guest on the podcast today. Her name is Grace Casey and she is the creative at the helm of Marrow Design. It's a branding studio devoted to distilling the power of what matters into soul-deep visual identities for self-connected humans. She lives in Houston, Texas with her husband and business partner, Dan, and their two children, Zion and Addie. Grace is the mastermind behind the brand designs for Emily Riggs Therapy and Wellness, my psychotherapy business, along with the Breed Darling podcast. So I am so excited to bring you all this conversation. I know it is going to encourage you challenge you, change the way that you think, and help you take some steps forward in your life that hopefully help you breathe a little easier. So let's jump in. It's happening. It's happening. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So obviously we started talking before this, but I am just so excited to have you on here today. Um, it just feels right to have you as my first guest after, um, having been on. Um, and, um, again, like you and I don't know each other super well, but, um, spent some really special time together that we'll get into in a little bit, but I just first and foremost want to have you introduce yourself to the Breathe Darling community. Who are you? Where are you? Give us just a brief synopsis. Uh, First, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. We've talked a lot about this, but it feels like we've uh, gone through life more so together than we actually have, just like the safety and the the depth that I feel here, which is just so beautiful. And I know that that resonates um, with anybody that's listening to this, all the Breathe Darling yeah, fan club. Um, I am, my name is Grace Casey and I live in Houston, Texas, um, with my husband and our two little kiddos who are almost three and four, they're 11 months apart, which is crazy. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, I run my own business as well as my husband does for himself which has been really exciting. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that later, but uh, just grateful to be here. Oh my gosh. So excited to have you again. It just feels like so, so special to have you be the one who's on the show because 
So Grace alluded to this. Um, she has her own business and I actually worked with Grace to create the logos for my therapy business, Emily Riggs Therapy and Wellness, and then Breathe Darling podcast. Um, so all of the um, logos, all, all of the design, just essentially, I had no idea what I was doing. And then I submitted myself to Grace's authority and creative <laughs> mastermind and she created something so wonderful. So Grace, could you tell us a little bit more about your business and then yeah. into what that process was like to work together? Yeah. And even as you were saying that, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I, I know part of the reason I feel so close to you and like, I know you so well, is just because of who you are. Right. Mm. And just the way you present in the world and, and relate to people. But the other part of it is that we did go through the branding process together. So I am a brand designer. I work with helping create the invisible aspects of a business and taking those things and making them a visual reality. So kind of that the meaning behind my business's name, which is marrow design is kind of getting to the, who you are in the marrow of your being something that's invisible, but that's so essential. It's your essence. And then making that something visible that represents who you are out in the world to help attract, um, the people that you really want to be working with. And, um, through that process that I got the honor to do with Emily, um, we do this like brand discovery workbook that is really, really, in my opinion, intimate. Um, because oh, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it goes so deep into helping me understand, you know, from a business owner, why are you doing what you're doing? What matters to you? What are you trying to accomplish? Who are you doing this for? At the end of the day, what matters? And so through that, got to get into the depths with Emily and what led her to start her practice and also just the Breathe Darling podcast and got into the story behind the name there. And even, you know, through our brand discovery was looking at images of your mother's handwriting and using that as the inspiration for the podcast logo. And it just felt so, I just felt so honored to be trusted with that information because it's, yeah, I just don't take it lightly. So, um, Yes. Going back to my business, I started working initially doing branding for restaurants back in Kansas City, Missouri, and then worked for a marketing for nonprofits agency in Raleigh, North Carolina. Y'all have been everywhere. We have. We've been a little bit all over the place, um, which, you know, in part, I think is p part of the reason I ended up working for myself is just every time we moved, I would you know, keep clients or people or contacts that I had where I used to be. And I would continue doing working for them on the side. Um, and then I had a string of surgeries in, let's see, 20, 2011 through 2014. So during that time, I wasn't able to work, you know, at the agency. And so I was kind of doing in between surgeries, I was working for myself and all this came along. And then finally, I just felt led to go off and do my own thing, which is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, but has just been one of the, the best decisions of my life and has allowed me to uh, just really craft the day-to-day -day that I really want and the family life that I really want. And um, yeah, to be 100% a mom and 100% a business owner and yeah. you know, just to not submit to the rules by the world, the way they've set them to like get the, create them myself. 
Yes, absolutely. Oh, there's so much there. And guys, this is what I love about Grace is, and I'll share a little bit more, like, Grace, you are just always dropping like some kind of like deeply saturated truth bomb, but like a a gentle delivery, like, (laughs) like, I don't know. I, whenever you talk and again, we spent some, some really good time together, um, you know, around the discovery for the brand. And, um, you know, I just felt like you were able to even help me put into words, a lot of things that I was looking Mm. achieve, but didn't necessarily have the words for. So first and foremost, just gorgeous. I love it. Um, but also, okay. So you guys have been everywhere. Did you go to school for brand design? Like, was that the initial plan? Yeah. So I got a little bit of a hybrid education. So I went to the university of Kansas, which is in Lawrence, Kansas and went to art school. So initially when I went in, I spent my first two years um, pursuing a degree in graphic design, which is kind of the route you typically would take if you want to be a brand designer. I will say when I was in college, um, it feels so long ago now. Um, We're getting up there, girl. <laughs> I know. I'm like in my 30s and I'm like, oh, wow. I was in college like 10, 15 years ago. Okay. So when I was in college, working for yourself was not as much a thing. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like, okay, we're going to teach you how to run your own studio or, you know, that was not an option. So they were training us to go work at agencies. Um, and so I started off doing that. And then about halfway through, I actually switched my major to illustration design. Um, I grew up loving fine arts. Like I just love the, Oh gosh. Um, so much about that. And I just really missed it. I felt like graphic design where I was, was really pushing me into a box and it felt really corporate. And, um, I just wanted to be able to express myself more so in the work that I was doing. And so I switched over to illustration. So I kind of have a little bit of both, which, um, I think has actually served me really well. And Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that. Um, and then obviously, you know, when I graduated, got a lot of education just through your first jobs, as we all know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first year at working for an agency, I just was like, oh, I didn't know this. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is not what I expected. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then obviously having to go to the university of YouTube where you just learn how to, you know, do everything that you need to do to run your own business, especially for, you know, people our age, that wasn't a thing. Like it, there wasn't an option for creating your own business in the same way that there is now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It really felt like even in those days, the concept of, of quote unquote, small business or like being an entrepreneur was like, yes, it's still very much a risk, but like, I don't know. It felt like this really big, scary thing that like, I don't know. When I thought about people who had their own business for whatever reason, the very like intense stereotype in my brain is like a mom and pop grocery store. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And not like, not me, not you, not, not me. Like I, right. I also didn't even really know what therapy was at that point in my life. Right. So you're absolutely right. You know, going into business for ourselves and sounds like you learned a lot from those early days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The agency work of, and I, maybe I'll put some words in your mouth. You tell me if they're true, but yeah, I feel like for me, I've had 
an ungodly number of jobs since I graduated college. It just is embarrassing to note, <laughs> but um, I feel like I learned something from every single one. Yeah. Especially yeah. learn something about myself, learned like what I absolutely don't do not want, right? Mm-hmm. And then what I do want and out of the next thing, right? Yeah. Um, this is like a subtweet underneath this conversation, but <laughs> I have always had this idea that you know how when you're becoming a doctor, you do rotations. Yes. So I think that there should be a gap year between high school and college. Where mm-hmm. you do rotations in different industries and different work, like types of work. Cause it's like, how are you, I'm like, I'm like thinking back to when I was 18 and I'm like, you guys oh. thought, you guys actually thought I was going to know what I wanted to do. And you're expecting me to pick a major when I'm 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I am. I will retweet that subtweet a hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. I, again, another like side track, whatever. Ben and I talk all the time, like about the, you know, the children we don't have yet, but like almost wanting to pseudo force them to do a gap year and uh-huh. work and like work in an industry you think you're interested in and see if you are yeah. still interested in it. I yeah. have a whole spiel about the fact that we send literal children. Yes. Adults, quote unquote, 18 years old, um, in the eyes of the law, but like, <laughs> In the, brain, the brain, right, in the eyes of the brain, in the eyes of the brain, it is not fully developed yet. Like age no. 25 is, is our kind of go-to of that's when the brain is fully developed. And I'm like, for the love, why, yeah. why didn't somebody scoot me out of the nest and say, go get him, tiger. You oh, know? My gosh. oh my gosh. <laughs> Even the fact know. it freaks me out that 16 year olds drive. Oh, okay. freaks me out. Yeah. I cannot. <laughs> Who left me behind the wheel when I was 16? That's absolutely not okay. <laughs> We do joke sometimes because we we got married pretty young. We were 23. We'd both just graduated college and we were like, hmm, not that we would change it by any means. Yeah. Um, we feel like we we grew up together in a sense. We went through some really hard early years that have shaped us in beautiful ways, but we've been like, probably should have waited just to scotch longer, you know, yep. fully develop, make sure this is what you want kind of thing. Yeah. I was 24 and my husband was 23 when we got married, which looking back at that time, you're like, I'm so mature, but (laughs) looking back now, Dan has some, Dan has a lot of siblings and he's like one of the older ones. And so like, we're looking at his siblings now that are like 23 and 24. And we're like, Oh my gosh, no. No. Like if they came to me and we're like, we're getting married. We'd be like, Nope. Sit down. (laughs) We're having a conversation. Oh man. Oh, I hear you girl. I hear you. It's so interesting. You know, all the things that you think about in retrospect, like that you would have done differently, but mm-hmm. you know, clearly it's led to you. I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Where you are totally. exactly yeah. like all of those agency jobs led you to this place. And, you know, it sounds like you had some, some personal challenges there with your health and, you know, required mm-hmm. some, some medical care pretty intensely, mm-hmm. over those yeah. years. you know, kind of led, it sounds like to just like a complete hiatus of yeah. engaging there. Do you feel like that time was like clarifying for you? Like, did it kind of help show you like, okay, now I really know what I want. Yeah, I think it, it did. Um, I would say it was the, that season that has really led to, I think the best things about my life now. Um, so to give like a little bit of a, uh, a backstory to that, just to, for anybody listening, um, when I, I was born with a brain tumor, we didn't find it until I was in eighth grade. 
um, totally random. I got a concussion and then they did a CT scan and they were like, oh, there's a brain tumor in there, um, which was like shocking. But we just watched it um, for a long time. I would, you know, just get checkups and get MRIs to make sure it's not growing. And it was growing, but not so much. They would never go into that part of the brain unless they absolutely had to. Um, and so, you know, they gave me things to look out for of like, if this starts happening, you need to come in right away and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll need to go in there. And so when I was a junior in college, um, like September, so like really early, I was in art school, you know, I'm in illustration. So I'm like really honed into using my eyes and my hands. And I started noticing that I was having like double vision on my left, on my left eye. Um, Everything on the periphery was double vision. And, you know, for a while you're like, oh, you know, maybe I just, I don't know, like maybe I'm making this up. Is this really, it was so gradual. Sure. Um, well, it it was gradual and it wasn't because it until then it wasn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I started noticing that my handwriting was changing. Um, I used to have really, really tight, neat handwriting. Um, and it was getting bigger and sloppier, and I was having trouble with certain letters. And so I just kind of monitored it. And I also am the type of person that's like, if I say it out loud, then it's real. And so I didn't tell anyone. And then it got to the point where I couldn't deny it anymore. And so I called my parents, my dad flew up right away. I had surgery like two days later and they went in and removed part of the tumor. Um, it was a pretty, I would say traumatic surgery, um, pretty rough recovery, I obviously left school for a while. And then when I did go back um, for my senior year, it was not, you know, I wasn't going to a lot of classes. I was doing a lot of things from home. I went from being really, really social to not being able to be out in public without wearing earplugs and getting really overstimulated and social interaction was something that really triggered a lot of really bad headaches. And so I think that changed the trajectory of my life. It at the time felt really in a negative way, but I would say now in a really positive way. And then um, it's a long story, but I ended up having four more brain surgeries. So I had five in four years. I had one and then I had three in the span of around a year. I ended up developing what's called um, a curare malformation from the tumor pushing my brain outside my skull and then um, hydrocephalus, which is a, an issue in which your brain can't control pressure anymore. So they put a couple of devices in my, in my brain that helps like m- regulate pressure. Um, and in this, in the middle of that time, met my husband, my now husband, um, we started dating long distance. He was going to college in North Carolina and he moved to Costa Rica. We, it's a really long and crazy. Amazing. Story. My face yeah. right now is just like, what? <laughs> yeah. He started writing me letters. Long story short, the letters didn't get to me because the mail in Costa Rica was on strike. So I thought he was totally ignoring me. Oh, he thought I was ignoring him. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So then when he got back to the States, he flew to Kansas City on the same day plane ticket and was like, hey, are you in Kansas City tonight? And I was like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> You've been ignoring me. I don't want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then um, about a month after we started dating, I found out I was going to need a whole new set of surgeries. And so it was kind of like, hey, are you, this is like full permission for you to just be out. Like, this is not going to be fun. You know, this is not, um, this is really intense. And he was in. So the first time he met my family was in the hospital and, you know, I was in the ICU for a while and he was staying with them and meeting them. And, um, yeah, so he was just all in and, and we, I would say that we started our relationship in, in the hard times and we got engaged four months after we started dating, which I would not advise. That was a very specific those were very specific circumstances. Like I was in the middle and things were not, we just, it was kind of, yeah, we just didn't know what was going to happen. And so, um, all that to say, yeah, we're married now. I had my last surgery in November before our March wedding. My head was like shaved at the time I was wearing extensions on the, on the like shortest part. Yeah. Like I remember on the dance floor, I was like pulling out my extensions You're and like leaving them around the floor. <laughs> it was hilarious. Amazing. Oh Amazing. man. Just yeah. Celebrating that. But so, you know, having to leave, not being able, I just felt like I was taken out of the game, um, during that time. Well, and at, at such a, a young age, you know, obviously, you know, like 21, 22, we're not, we're not quote unquote young, like we're not children, but still, you know, that's a time of your life where you're like, all right, the future is ahead of me. Right. And it's all bright and I got this and then go through that grace. I'm sure that, you know, you alluded to it being traumatic. Absolutely. But, you know, then to have to keep going back in and it sounds like there was a lot of uncertainty too, around the time of, do I have a future? And if Mm -hmm. I do, what does it even look like? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, at that age, you have all these things that you think define who you are. And I would say at, in that season, it felt like all the things that I would say defined who I was were gone. And so it was like, you know, I'm an artist. Well, no, I can't really even use my hands and my eyesight is off. And that, so that's kind of, you know, I can't hold a job when I'm, you know, in this state of pain and that's gone. And I would say, well, I'm a really good friend. And well, you know, I'm not able to really have meaningful friendships in the season in the way that I would define meaningful friendships. Um, even though now that I'm older, I recognize there's the arc of friendship is so much longer and more beautiful, but you know, that's gone. And then, you know, am I able to be a good daughter? All these things are gone. And so I kind of had, I have this like very clear memory of sitting on the couch after my first surgery couldn't take myself to the bathroom couldn't you know I was just really dependent and I remember thinking if I'm nothing but this thing that I am right now for the rest of my life you know is that good enough am I good enough and having to really combat that question in a really intense way and just not knowing um So I think that that changed the way that I started picking back up those pieces of my life, picking back up those pieces of my identity, um, just always going back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like those are such formative years Mm. where, you know, for many, we are just now, you know, especially 
around that age is when we're departing from our families of origin and, mm-hmm. you know, yes, taking with us, um, you know, depending on the situation, uh, a lot of core beliefs and values and, and kind of walking out into the world and almost like testing these theories, right? Like, is this, is this how the world works outside of my hometown? Is this, is this how people actually interact? Is this just, you know, kind of something my family does and the rest of the world doesn't. So it's a lot of this like trial and error and figuring out who we are and, and like what actually stuck from childhood, adolescence, right? Early adulthood. Yes. Who I want to be and how do I want to show up in the world? And it sounds like during that time, you know, you were, you were putting the pieces together of your life, figuring out who I am and how I want to show up. And then the bottom fell out. Yeah. I can imagine that was really unsettling. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like when you're, you know, at that age, you, you feel like you've just been so, at least the way I took Mm -hmm. my childhood and growing up, I was so painstakingly crafting who I was, you know, thinking that I had to do everything right, that I had to present the exact right way that I had to speak in a certain way and and choose certain things for my life. And then having all of those fall away and almost starting over in some respects as far as okay I'm gonna pick back up these pieces which pieces do I want to pick up off the ground yeah and which ones do I want to leave there and recognize that I don't need those anymore or I should never put those there anyway um you know and so in some ways I'm I'm really grateful because I think if I hadn't have had that happen I would have just continued on that path and Mm -hmm. still had those kind of layers Mm -hmm. on me that probably should have never been there anyway, as far as just like needing to be quote unquote, perfect, <laughs> going back to what yeah. we were talking about. Yeah. Um, Emily and I were talking before we started recording about just this idea of what is perfect and this yeah. pursuit of perfect and um, how it's just not helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like what you're describing grace is this you know, concept of post-traumatic growth, right. Mm-hmm. Where, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is a requirement for anyone who's experienced anything traumatic. Right. But, you know, there is this descriptor of, um, you know, we experience the traumatic thing. Maybe we do have the stress response that comes with that, mm-hmm. um, and the lingering, you know, whatever, whether it's triggers or just, just coping that maybe isn't the most effective. Um, but you know, for many people as a big part of their healing is that idea of identifying some kind of perhaps purpose that existed, um, or even a way that you're like, okay, I don't love that this happened to me. I would not sign up for that again. However, I can see it for what it is. And I can see where there was opportunity to change course, maybe because I had no choice, right? sounds like for you, it was very much the case, but I also see in you, and to some people, this feels like a four letter word that that concept of resilience where you're like, okay, I'm not going to bounce back to Grace Casey before mm-hmm. this happened. Mm-hmm. Right. But what pieces, I love that you said it this way. What pieces of my life do I actually want to pick up again and take forward with me? And what do I just want to leave behind? Yeah. And just kind of let fall to the wayside because that's not me anymore. The fact is you went through not one, but five transformative experiences. And in a way got to decide, okay, I'm going to let this change me perhaps for the better. Mm. And who do I want to be now? Yeah. Yeah. 
So mm. now you guys all know that the reason I came on this podcast is to get a little counseling session from Emily. <laughs> Here I am. Getting I, you know, I can't turn it off. I just came from work. No, I, mean, I need it. No, I mean, no, no, no. That was not, that was a give me more comment. Yes, yes. I, it. Well, I just feel like you, you have this beautiful awareness of, um, I don't know, just what your process has been like and how your experience has shaped you. Um, and it you know, sounds like you have done some of your own work around it to figure out, um, you know, what's next, yeah. right? Um, it's a big thing in therapy. We talk about with a lot of people who maybe, um, feel stuck in this idea of why, why did this happen? Why did it happen this way? Why did it happen to me? And, you know, kind of shifting that perspective of like, we may never know, like, we may never know why you were born with a brain tumor that was not discovered until you were in eighth grade. Like that's absolutely crazy. And then why did it show up when you were a junior in college? Right. We may Mm -hmm. never know why, but then there's the opportunity to say, okay, can I accept that? Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I don't agree with it. Can I at least accept it? But I may never know the reason why. And then I can start asking myself, okay, what's next? What do I do now? Yeah. This has happened. Fact period. What do I do now? Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, you got married in the midst of all of this wild. You started crafting this beautiful life together. Yeah. What was that like early on when you guys were first married and, you know, navigating those very real challenges associated yeah. with your health? I mean, wow, Grace. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, I think the fact that our dating and engaged, like I had two, two or three surgeries while we were engaged. And then my husband, Dan actually had a, sur- a surgery as well. He tore his labrum and it was, a, he had hit one of his surgeries a week after I had mine. So I couldn't be there, which was really tough. But I think the fact that that was kind of, that was just what our life looked like. Yeah. Um, then when we got married, I, we just were, we just were really familiar with and comfortable with the hard things. Um, And I think it also helped us to realize what matters. And that's not to say that we didn't fight or have all the things that normal couples do because we absolutely did. And there was a lot of um, catching up to do because we dated and got engaged so quickly that we had to catch up on, you know, relational communication and expectations and all these things. Um, Mm. But yeah, I think our entire marriage has been just this fight for building the life that we want and recognizing that what we want isn't necessarily going to be an option that's laid on the table in front of us. Like we have to painstakingly (laughs) fight for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's something that it's like, you know, for example, I think even though starting your own business wasn't necessarily a huge option for someone like me at that time, it was more of an option. Like there was a path in some ways to build the business that I wanted. Um, Dan, I've always told Dan, like, I just think that the job that you're meant for has not been created yet. And I just think that what you're going to do, you're going to have to build it. And so we just have done that together and we have, you know, spent a lot of time talking about, what do we want our days to look like? Because you know what you want your days to look like is what you want your life to look like. Absolutely. And uh, 
I think it's also been just about taking the really hard obstacles and using those to hone in on what you want. And so Dan and I really love to adventure and hike. And um, especially before we had kids, we spent a lot of times going to national parks and things like that. And we always had this, like, we'd always say this thing where we would say, you know, go find the obstacle because what we love about national parks and just being out in nature is that you can get away from society. Mm -hmm. The reality is like, if anyone spent time in national parks, you know, a lot of times there's a ton of people there and it like kind of ruins it. You're like, "Ah," like there's a million people with their iPads out. Oh God. Yeah. I'm in this, this path is paved like what? Um, so our favorite thing is like, every time we would come across an obstacle, you know, like a little bit of a river crossing or a little bit of a, a, a mountain that you kind of had to climb. Every time we reached one, we knew that going over that was going to get us cl- like closer to what we wanted, which was to be out in nature and in communion with the elements without all those people that are, you know, yeah. Who would likely turn back at the obstacle? Exactly. Because when they reach that obstacle, they're going to turn back. And so every time we reached one, we were like, yes, like we're that much closer to getting where we want to go. And so I think, you know, we've tried to have the mindset of that in our life of like, okay, this is an obstacle, but by going through that, we're going to get closer to what we want and other people when other people are going to turn away because we know what we want is not what is being presented to us and so you know obviously my surgeries were like that um I would say uh COVID was that for us COVID was an impetus to Dan starting leaving his job and starting his own business um both COVID and my surgeries were an impetus to us adopting our children, which was not something that we ever, I, I had always had adoption on my heart, like from a very young age, I always assumed that I also have biological children as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, when we got to the point of talking through like starting a family, my surgical team, you know, was just very adamant that that was not safe for me. And that was hard. Um, and you know, you just, you don't expect that. And that pushes, yeah, it's another obstacle. And, and now that we have Zion and Addie, our our kiddos, I'm just like, oh man, like, I swear if they were from my body, I I wouldn't be able to love them as much. I don't know what, like, it's just so funny. (laughs) I like laugh. People, people always ask like, but I'm afraid I won't love them as much as I would if they were my own biological children. And I'm like, man, I think I love them more. Like they're just, I mean, they're the best things in the whole world. And I can't imagine. They're the literal cutest. I cannot. Oh my gosh. They're, they're stupid cute. Like it's Uh, embarrassing how cute they are. Photos of your family. I'm like, get out of here. I'm upset. Oh, Oh my gosh. I love them so much. It's, it's just, yeah. But yeah, all those obstacles. If I wouldn't have had a brain tumor, we didn't even get into this, but if I wouldn't have had a brain tumor, I never would have met Dan, which is a whole other story. If I wouldn't have had a brain tumor, you know, I would never have started my own business or kind of like helped Dan start his own business. I never would have, um, we never would have adopted, um, all these things that are the most important things in my life right now that I would say have given me what I need to live the life I want have yeah. come from the hard things, have come from the obstacle, um, Girl, which is just, I mean, it's easy to say now it really sucked going through it. Like it's not, 
you don't yeah. have that mindset in the same way when you're going oh, through it, the thick no, of it, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm grateful and sad and happy and all the emotions all at once, um, yeah. for what my life is now. It's, I mean, it's so incredible, I think, to hear your perspective. And I think just that reminder that like, we're not going to have that perspective in the mm-hmm. mess middle of it. Like Mm-mm. we can maybe like start to jot down some thoughts. Like I, I remember this, like in terms of grief, like with losing my mom, like it just like, you don't have the clarity in mm-hmm. the middle of it to see the other side. Like I re- recently came across some like journal entries of, in the days after my mom passed and it just was like, you're just convinced it's never going to get any better. Like you're just absolutely, oh my gosh. That this is exactly how it's going to be. Forever. To yeah. Forever. Like Ben and I talk about this all the time with grad school. I mean, it was a three-year commitment. And when I started, I was like, oh God, like this is never going. Yep. To and then you're on the yep. other side. I'm almost two years on the other side. And I'm like, well, oh, I did that thing. And that thing that like, yeah. I kind of felt like it was going to crush me, like losing my mom. I thought that that was going to be the end of me, you know? And yeah. I just love your perspective on like the compassion that's required when you're in the middle of it, that like, you don't see the other side. You don't see, right. Getting diagnosed with a brain tumor, having these surgeries and not knowing that, you know, 15 years later, there's this beautiful family and this couple that is crafting a life for that family just yeah. so incredible how we just don't think we have the capacity and then we're stretched mm-hmm. to the point that we're like, no, 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 I'm going to break. I can't, I can't do anymore. And then yeah. there, like, there it is right on the other side. Yeah. I used to, um, I'm a very visual mind. Like I'm, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm As I was saying, not I'm shocking. very visual. <laughs> not- um, I think in images a lot. And I, I, when I was at the height of like my surgeries and even after, even after, um, was just really struggling with pain. Like pain was what defined, I think that season of my life with headaches and, and I just remembered trying to explain to Dan one time what it felt like. And it felt like pain was black paint that painted over everything in my world so like yes all of the physical things were the same but they were painted in black and I couldn't see far enough to to realize that one day things wouldn't be painted with black with pain and and uh I just remember like when things were were really really bad and you know at certain parts of the day they're going to be worse and I just in the height of those times I just remember telling myself at some point today your pain won't be this bad it won't yeah. be quite this bad. And when you're in that, when you're in the obstacle, you're really only able to get yourself to the end of the day. And then you start again. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that I had a incredibly supportive and loving and faithful partner with me in that. And one thing we used to say to each other, him to me and then me to him and other parts of his life that have been hard are just, I know that you don't believe that one day you won't be in this much pain, but I believe it for you today. Like, I know that you feel like this will be forever, but it won't, I promise. And I, I'm holding that faith for you. Like I am praying for that for you. And because when you're really in a dark place, when you're grieving, when you're in pain, you don't even have enough like ability to pray for it or ask for it or believe for it. And you feel like, because you're not able to, it's not going to happen or you're not going to be able to get there. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, it's okay to not have that mindset 
to be like, oh, everything's going to turn out or yeah. everything's going to make me better. Like I hate when yes. people, I read this book called, um, everything happens for a reason. And yes. all the guys I love, have Kate you read that? Buller. Kate Buller. Oh, yep. total girl yep. crush. Absolutely adore her, her podcast. I think I actually shared so with you when we were doing discovery that her podcast yep. was one of the ones that I was like, this is it. This is what I love. Yep. Yeah. This is it. She gets it. Yeah. I was in Durham when she wrote that book. Um, mm-hmm. and she's, she is at Duke. She's a professor yes. at Duke Div, which my husband was at, at the time. Amazing. And you know, her, her thing is like, look, don't give people platitudes when they're going through something. Like they don't want you to say that everything happens for a reason because that's so diminutive and not helpful. Um, and also not true, like not always true. And so, uh, yeah, I think the way I talk about it now, I don't know that I would, if I were to talk to myself back then, I could like talk like over time to myself. Um, yeah, I think I wouldn't necessarily say the same words, but just to be there and um, have compassion and grace and understanding for how hard it is just to get through the day. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah it, you're in that space too, but, you know, having come through that, you know, I don't even know that I love the idea of the word like overcome because it's like, well, that's, that's still a thing in my it's life. It's not, it's still a part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it has shaped me so dramatically, which is also why I like, don't love the concept of like moving on from grief or anything like that. Because mm-hmm. like, oh, no, it's going to be like, always. Yeah. It has like so shaped us, but I just feel like what you've been through, like, yes, can like provide that perspective. But, um, I think because of going through hard things, you also know maybe what isn't helpful that people attempt to use. And I truly believe it's well-intended. Oh, um, oh yeah. yeah. Like, like you'd mentioned the platitudes. I tend to call it embroidered pillow bullshit. Um, but yep. you know, <laughs> yep. what, whatever. Um, yep. but you know, you start to figure out like what isn't helpful and then you're able mm-hmm. to really see people in their pain. And then yeah. offer what you actually know to be helpful. And again, it's not because they're the same. There's no comparison. Pain is pain. Um, pain is pain. You know, being able to say, I have some semblance of an idea of what this is like, and I'm going to share with you what I found helpful when I was going mm-hmm. through this. Right. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times like, people feel really seen by that. Um, yeah. And it's just the, that, that you tried, that you listened, that you saw them for where they're at, not where you want them to be. Right. And a lot of times yeah. when we see people in pain, we want to fix it, but we, yes. And yeah. in an attempt to assuage the pain, we offer up some kind of platitude because it's actually more about wanting ourselves to feel better than it is mm-hmm. about our ability to sit with someone else in their own pain and not fix it. Yes which is yes. just so hard. Yep. Yeah. And it's to come to the realization that like nobody on earth has the answers that we're looking for. Yes. Right. Like you talked about, like we may never know, or there's so much, we're so quick to jump in when somebody else is expressing their pain to be like, well, this is why this is happening, or this is what you do to fix this or get over it or even endure it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is like, we don't, when someone's in pain and they're hurting, they don't want that or need that. They need you to just be with them and to love them and to hold them, you know, gently. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and even little things like pra- just practical, practical love, like, yeah, Hey, I'm going to make you dinner or, um, you know, whatever you might need. Like, I don't need you to tell me that everything's going to be okay because maybe it's not. You don't know and that. also like, is okay. The goal like, is being okay. The goal, like, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> probably not. You, you said know? it. You absolutely said it. And I think, you know, whether it's, you know, we're wading into the waters of like what support looks like for other people. And I love that mm-hmm. because, you know, you learn from your own experiences, but you know, whether it's grief support, whether it's, you know, somebody's going through a really hard season of life, um, any kind of loss, you know, so much of, uh, we're tempted to say, what do you need? And, and when you're in that, right. When it, like, as you said, you when don't know. is like painted over black and you're like, I literally can't see, like, I cannot yeah. see the next hour in front of me. I have no and idea. And that also puts it back on them to give them one more task to come up with an idea of how to help somebody. It's like, no, what, what they really needed is for you to just drop a coffee off on their front door. Even if it's not something they like or whatever, it's like, don't, yeah. Anyway, I'm very passionate about that because. Oh, no, I, I think um, it's so important to educate others, um, maybe enlighten people about what helps, especially if you haven't gone through something like that, you don't know what you don't know and no one can blame you for that. But of course, here's yeah. an idea of what can help. Right. Yeah. I like literally days before my mom died. And again, like I was actually at therapy. And we had some friends who had recently, um, experienced a miscarriage and, um, I was talking to my therapist and I was like, I just don't know how to support them. I reached out, I asked them what they needed and I just haven't heard anything back. And she, I love my former therapist. She's amazing. It's just like Kentucky Southern accent. She was like, no, no, you do not ask them what they need. Like you yeah. just go and you anticipate a need. And if that meets yes. a need they have, lovely. And don't expect anything in return because it's not about you. You did that out of the goodness of your heart, out of your love for them. And so like, she's like, go and take them food. Like, do you know what they like? And I was like, huh? She's like, go and take them food and drop it off. And yeah. she was like, if they eat it, lovely. If they don't, you're none the wiser. And it wasn't about yeah. you anyways, right? Yes. And I just remember like in the weeks following my mom passing, I felt the most loved by people just anticipating needs. Like one of my closest friends without me even knowing, like she dropped off a basket of snacks and like water at our house. And she, Mm -hmm. I'm getting teary thinking about it because she's just so dear to me. Um, But she Mm -hmm. was just like, she just left a note. She didn't ring the doorbell. She just said, I know you're probably forgetting to eat and to hydrate. So Mm -hmm. take a minute do these things. And she like had even picked out stuff I can eat. Cause I have all these dietary restrictions. And I just, I still think back on that. Like, and clearly I feel things about it because I'm just like, yeah. somebody saw me and she has, she hasn't experienced what I've gone through, but she knows mm-hmm. loss, you know? Yeah. And so she was able to speak to that. And I just, like you, I'm so impassioned, <laughs> you know, to yes. like help people understand what that looks like. Yeah. And when we're going through that obstacle, we don't even have the mental capacity or bandwidth or margin to think on a grander scale about what's coming on the other side. We need help getting through the day. Yeah. Right. And so what your friend did was she gave you something to help get through the day and that little small, you know, act of like love and mercy and graciousness is just is so meaningful, so meaningful. And it helps you feel seen and known and, you know, valued. And 
It's just, yeah, that's so beautiful. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Breathe Darling, the podcast. It is our joy to bring these episodes to you and we hope that you walk away feeling more connected, more grounded, and like you can breathe a little easier. We love your feedback, so please be sure to leave us a review. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. And lastly, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We are so excited you're here. Again, thanks for listening. Be well and breathe easy.